Welcome, I'm JT, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey, I'm Kirby. And our special guest today is the creative director and lead designer of the new Cortex Prime game, Cam Banks. Hey there, I'm really happy to be here today. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for making time in what I imagine is a somewhat busy schedule to talk to us. It's a little bit chaotic, but I'm always keen to talk to people about this. Yeah, well, I'm certainly excited because, uh, yeah, Cortex Prime officially launched to the public yesterday. Uh, some of us that were in the Kickstarter got our books, but now it's sort of out there. Yeah, I mean, the backers were getting those staged out over the last couple of weeks, and it's there's nothing like it seeing people get the stuff that they've been waiting for all this time and, and having the feedback come in. Pictures of the book in people's hands, it's, it's wonderful. It's really, really good. Yeah, and I know that this has sort of been a project that's been a long time in the making so i'm sure that it feels good to sort of finally be able to say like okay you know we've sort of got everything in place now and you know people are going to enjoy what we've been doing all this time yeah there are several stages of relief which is like when the book's finally in layout when the book's finally off to press when the book's finally you know being shipped to the fulfillment all those things are like little you know uh, stages of removing the weight off your shoulders as it were and now that it's out there and it's a real physical thing people have uh it's it's just tremendous great and uh, i know that you're planning on releasing uh digital copies in the future so i'm sure that uh people can look forward to that as well yeah we're hard at work on that that's um at cortexrpg.com our website for all things cortex the goal is to have uh that digital aspect of it you can see a little bit of it now we've done some previews samples of how we're going to do it but we're really ramping up things and hoping to make this a sort of a multimedia user experience and to clarify for our listeners at home uh you can at the time of this recording you can order a book and correct me if i'm wrong but i believe you also get a code for a digital copy and i believe compendium access yeah, that's inside the cover of the hardback which you can buy at stores. Um, we're still, I mean, obviously when things roll out distribution-wise, it's not yet in everywhere that, uh, and people have to order it for it to show up in a store. We don't drive around to each place and, and drop them off in a big truck, for example. <laughs> but um, yeah, once you get your book, and this has been true for the backers, and it's true for anyone who gets it from a store now, there's a code on the inside cover which you can go to cortexrpg.com and enter it, and it does unlock both the PDF of the book and also what we're calling the compendium, which is kind of a digital version of the book as readable through a browser. Yeah, I actually got to uh, check that out when I got my Kickstarter copy of the book, and uh, I really like the uh, layout and design of the website. So uh, props to you and uh, Fandom for putting all of that together. Yep, that's the goal, just trying to make as much as we can of this sort of thing, because you know, uh, we're looking ahead to the future. We obviously know that the kind of things that people are doing more often online and sharing things around the table on the tablets and so on, um, making it easier for folks to play Cortex is the goal. Yeah, that's great. I uh, I do most of my gaming online, actually, especially now during uh, COVID and stuff, uh, even more so. But as, you know, uh, an online gamer, I really like having that digital support 
for my gaming. Yeah, and we're hoping to make it even better. I mean, obviously, this is our first kind of first release of it. Um, you know, we'll be making tweaks, we'll be upgrading things, adding more features. It's an ongoing process. This has been the uh, first real uh, Cortex game that's come out in a few years, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Cam? That's right. Yeah, the last one that came out in any kind of publishing sort of sense, I guess, was Firefly, um, and that was several years ago, the last game that Margaret Wise Productions released. Right, yeah. So uh, it's kind of exciting because I feel like uh, a lot of new players now are going to be exposed to the Cortex system and get to get their hands on that. But yeah, so uh, for those people who might be new to the system, maybe Denver had experiences with Firefly or uh, Smallville or any of those uh, previous Cortex games, uh, how would you uh, describe the system? I guess there are sort of shorthand words that we can use to talk about it. It's like a roll and keep dice mechanic. You know, you, you pull a dice pulled together out of uh, different size dice from your character sheets. Uh, you roll them whenever you're doing any kind of action or a test or contest, as we call them in the in the default uh, of the game. And then you keep two dice out of that roll, and that's your total. So it's not terribly difficult. The only math that we use ever is addition, which I think is good for me since I'm getting on in years now, obviously. And the, the, <laughs> the, the fact that uh, most rolls are op opposed, so that there's a, quite a good spread of results you can get, um, really good opportunity to really do really well or fail terribly that's um sort of the designer intent to have that be in place so yeah dice pool game roll and keep uh lots of different things the all the stats are measured out in dice ratings so you when you use a stat you'll be using that actual die in your pool and everything else builds on from there it's it's more of a, a toolkit system to be honest because the game handbook that you get the one you've obviously got from kickstarter and so on that is kind of aimed at, at building the game as opposed to being a playable game out of the box, which is kind of challenging for some folks, but it's also something a lot of people have been really asking for, just something they can pick up and, and create their own game the way that we have in the past made games for each of the licenses. And uh, on top of that, so this toolkit system can be used for a multitude of genres. Uh, you can be playing your favorite IPs. You can be creating your own worlds. Uh, what would you say, in your opinion, makes Cortex more unique uh, compared to other toolbox systems? I think the fluidity of those choices you have is a big part of it. You can tailor so much of it to what you want at your table and the players you've got, and maybe even your choices of which games you've liked in the past, because all of those mods, all of those options are present and explained and given examples in the in the toolkit, in the game handbook. Whereas it's not like we've taken the game and taken all the IP off the game and just sort of let that game be as it is standalone and generic. We're not only doing that, we're taking the whole game apart and presenting you with kind of a buffet of the pieces. It's a Lego brick building box kind of thing in a way, right? It's not necessarily just... The same system for every game uh it will change and adapt as you adapt it to whatever genre and and ip you like and i actually really like that sort of modular design for the system because um having used other generic systems in the past a lot of them 
sort of just have one way of doing things and sometimes i feel like it works better for certain types of games than others but uh with this setup you can kind of sort of adapt it based on like the tone you want and like if you wanted it to be more gritty or sort of like more cinematic and uh there's sort of doesn't seem to be an issue with um tweaking those dials to make it the game you want also believe that at the, on the face of it it is kind of aimed more at trying to capture kind of a cinematic movie tv comic book literature kind of it's it came out of license adaptation so it did a lot has a lot of that still on its components but as you say you can strip away a lot of that and go back to even something more kind of old school or traditional if you want because all the pieces are there to do that yeah i think that's pretty cool and uh i mean i know that you've worked on a few or uh, a lot of uh the uh, IPs for Cortex in the past. Like, I know you did Smallville, Supernatural, um, Leverage, uh, Marvel Heroic, Firefly. And so, uh, obviously, uh, that seemed to work for those types of properties, too. What is it about Cortex, do you think, that sort of makes it so good for, you know, those types of stories? Just that you can wrap it around an IP as opposed to trying to wrap the IP around it, um, is how I've always described it. Yeah, that makes sense because uh, a lot of those uh, shows and IPs are very different from one another. So, yeah, no, I mean, at one point we had both Leverage and Smallville going at the same time in production, and I was overseeing both projects, but we had different teams, and I would jump into one team and say, "How's it going with this? Let's do this," and then jump over to the other one, and it was a radically different kind of thing. And so, there are days when you have to take off your various IP hats and put them on. And make sure you don't cross the wires too much. But I think underneath, underneath all of it is the same kind of uh, principle that we try and apply to it, which is uh, always trying to model what we want the experience to be, and less trying to um, you know bend and mutilate the IP to try and fit what we already had as far as the system goes. Definitely, uh, I think fans who have come from those old IPs or people who are perhaps discovering those uh, older editions, as it were, of Cortex in the past are going to see that these IPs vary dramatically from one another in all the right ways uh, while still keeping the core like Cortex system there. Uh, did you find in gathering all of uh, these tools from the various Cortex IPs uh, of yesterday uh, that anything was particularly hard to translate or inform your design decisions for Cortex Prime L? Yeah, uh, the early days of the development of Cortex Prime, back before fandom bought all of the rights um, for Cortex, it was just basically just me with my Kickstarter trying to, you know, cobble everything together to make kind of a, a whole. And there were various points at which I had to make decisions about whether I wanted to keep um, everything intact or do I upgrade some things to change things, you know, more to meet what I felt were the current best practices for the RPG design. The main thing that happened was I arrived at a consistent set of terms for things. So there are a lot of things from the older games where the, the, the rules and the mechanics are still in Cortex Prime, but I had to make a decision that between several games, they had different names for the same thing. So, you know, I just said, okay, look, this is what this is. This term means this thing. This term means this thing. And that's how it is. So you can rebuild those old games with Cortex Prime, but you may end up having to change a couple of the names around, if that makes any sense. That's the, the biggest 
the biggest challenge was just pulling it all together and and making it coherent. It seems like you kind of were able to uh, sort of take all the best things from the various games that you had in the past and sort of unify it together then to sort of make it modular, do what you want toolkit. Yep, that's that was the plan. Um, I'm very happy it turned out well because this, this <laughs> it was a potential timeline in which it was going to be a complete disaster, and uh, luckily I think I avoided that. There's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of moving parts that you had to put together and make sure that they worked well with one another because players uh, grabbing this uh, handbook, which is going to teach them how to not only play the game but make their own, uh, basically have all these different ingredients that they had to put together and all had to had to basically taste good together as as it were. The other funny thing about this is that. When going back over, there were certain parts that uh, I knew I needed to include, like mods and options and things that I myself maybe wouldn't use at the table, but which I understood that were very important to a certain style of play that I wanted to be able to address, right? So um, although this whole game itself is is my, you know, my ideal of a toolkit system, that doesn't mean that I would myself use every single piece of it, just as other people wouldn't use everything that I would use. Right. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, that's totally fair. And uh, I think that the, you know, the really nice thing is that you don't have to use everything that's in there. And it's kind of just, you know, giving you a lot of different options to do things the way you want. So actually, uh, I, I was I was curious. I, I know that uh, before the uh, Cortex properties were all sort of being published under uh, Margaret Weiss Productions, and then she sort of retired so uh, how, how did it come about uh you picking up the uh, license for the cortex system margaret actually offered me the license uh sort of to you know to do whatever i wanted with cortex after that um and i had presented this idea of doing cortex prime and you know being one of those people who tried to come up with clever names for things prime was intended to be this is the be all end all you don't have to worry about what has happened before now we're going ahead with this thing from now on so that led to me thinking, you know, just about taking everything together and making a a single unified system out of it, which was something Margaret thought was a good idea. Um, she certainly wasn't going to be publishing any more games, and so um, offered this extended license to me. And over the course of the you know next couple of years with the Kickstarter and so on, it became clear that there was a lot more involved in that than maybe I had anticipated. Which was, you know, that's fair enough, I suppose. One thing I do very well is I love to have a collaborative team. And when Fandom came on board to to buy all these rights and, and to help me get the Kickstarter to fruition and then, you know, pursue a larger idea of what we could do with Cortex in the future, I was able to bring on some of my uh, folks that I had from before, uh, including editor Amanda Valentine, and then also get some really, really stellar talents like Tina Collier, who is the one who is responsible for the amazing art direction and the layout. And oh yeah, this team, I mean, I just, I could not ask for a better group of people. Um, and right now we're obviously working on future projects with, with them. And every day I, I talk to them, we have meetings all the time. Um, we brought on Dan Telfer, who is uh, formerly from Mad Magazine. He's also responsible for... I think it's cool. Oh, he's going to be so mad that I forgot the name of his podcast. But uh, he's he's a comedian out of uh, California and also a really talented writer. So we've got this team of people together and lots of contractors and people that we have such a huge scope of what we can do as potential. And it came out of 
you know, fandom seeing in, in what I had started out um, and having the potential there. But uh, again, like if I didn't have that team now, I couldn't have done the, the, the book that we've got um, now on sale. Yeah, so uh, it sounds like uh, fandom really uh, helped out. Would you say that they sort of changed the trajectory of Cortex Prime or did they just, you know, enhance the process or how, how would you describe that? I think they helped me realize it. Uh, the trajectory is another way of describing, yes, it certainly went uh, stratospheric after that point. But if I had all the options that I wanted to do, if I wanted to make it the best possible thing, that they actually helped me realize that, right? And so now we fandom does have this uh, product. We've got this, this sort of roadmap for the future. And, um, you know, Cam from 2017 would be over the moon and is, in fact, that's, that's the way now. <laughs> But if I had said back then, you know, this is what's going to happen, I don't think I would have believed it. I would have been like, well, sure, fine. I'm just going to put out a, a six by nine black and white book. It'll be fine. Everyone will, like, you know, maybe buy it. It'll be okay. No, it's it's blown way more into, you know, this sort of vision of the game as opposed to what I thought was the reality. You know, fandom already does things like uh, D&D Beyond. So they already have, you know, experience with sort of doing uh, role-playing games and sort of the online tools and stuff. And so that's kind of cool because um, I know that they're working on stuff and we've actually seen some demos of stuff from uh, sort of these like online role-playing tools that you're planning on incorporating into uh, the website, right? Yeah, there's been sneak peeks visible um, in various places. When we did a big panel at uh, PowerCon, the Masters of the Universe convention, which I'm sure you've all been uh, attendees in multiple years because of your fandom of uh, He-Man. But no, I mean, I had never heard of PowerCon before we came on this. I was just amazed at the amount of people who are tuning into that. This year it was virtual because of the epidemic. And so they had us come on board and sort of, I ran a session of uh, Legends of Grayskull, which is an IP we're doing now for some very uh, cool, famous people. In the course of doing that, we actually used kind of a mock-up prototype of what we were hoping to be able to do for uh, online dice rolling and character sheet management and everything else we had that in place and I, I mean it was just so great so we've been able to show that off and that that was that's been recorded it's on youtube you can go check that out but also uh if you have been following them um there's this new twitch uh game called into the motherlands which is tanya de Pass's, uh team uh that's she's cypher of tier on twitter uh, that is a, a really awesome new Twitch campaign that's been going and will be going for at least 12 sessions. And they're using Cortex Prime as well, independent from us, but we've, we're supporting them with some um, of the same kind of digital tools, the idea of a character sheet, which you can pull dice from and, and roll them and get your outcomes and so on. So it's really cool to start seeding this sort of these ideas of how we want it to look. I mean, they're all obviously, they're still prototypes, still works in progress, but um gives you a bit of an idea of what we had in mind so i'm very interested in what the like cortex studio is going to offer uh and interested in seeing what that looks like we did get to uh, I, I was watching the uh stream the other day that you did for PowerCon, and uh, we have there like already looks great and as i understand it that was just a mock-up right something that you put together for the demo yeah yeah um that's, I mean, we've have some amazing talent on the sort of engineering side of the content management side, and that's the kind of thing that we're hoping people get access to, not just for our own stuff, but you know, eventually they'll be able to do their own things on streaming. Obviously, with a podcast, there's less of the visual component, but there's certainly the the ability for the GM to be 
you know, running things behind the scenes and, and coordinating it much easier than you would have done if it was just dice on paper and so on. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, so um, I know that uh, in that demo that you actually did uh, at PowerCon for uh, Legends of Skull, uh, there was some talk about uh, different flavors, you know, of the characters in the setting, like different attorneys, right? Mm -hmm. And do you have uh, any insight you could give us into uh, the way that the uh, system will sort of adapt to these different flavors of uh, He-Man? Obviously, our goal is for this to be a evergreen RPG, the standalone for for all things Masters of the Universe, and that includes Shira and uh, all the the past iterations of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. There are fans of all these different sort of iterations, I guess is a good way to put it. It's there are different universes within a multiverse, so that's our kind of our goal. It, uh, it is more of a Masters of the Multiverse in that sense. Um, so if you want your game to be a whole lot more uh, gritty and, and bloodthirsty, like some of the DC comics in the last few years have been, then yeah, you, you've got that all there. But uh, when I say evergreen, I mean it should have the all the mechanics and rules and ideas and things for running various kinds of games with different flavors. It's not quite as broad as Cortex Prime is in general. I mean, we'll, for the most part, all the characters will still have the same character sheets. But um, there'll be a heavy amount of guidance for the GM and those books as to how to, to flavor your specific game in a different way. Yeah, and actually, since you brought up character sheets, there's an interesting point uh, that uh, how are you approaching sort of doing character sheets for all these different games? Because, you know, you're never going to be able to just usually use like one generic character sheet, right? If you have all these different options for putting different things in to cater it to your game. So I was curious to hear about uh, how uh, you may be approaching character sheets for the games. Yeah, sometimes when I pick up a game in the store or I, I buy one uh, and open up and look at it, the first thing I turn to is the character sheet to give myself a, a sort of a preview of what the game's like. You can't do that with Cortex Prime. You can't open up the game handbook and see a character sheet. There isn't one. The back of the book has some example characters, and they're all different. You know, and there's, there's example characters throughout the book in various ways. We, we sort of approach it in terms of here's several builds and ways you could do this. And they're all different. So there's no generic sheet, like you said. So we kind of approach this idea of the digital character builder side of things, much as you were pointing out, D&D Beyond has a, has a really, really robust system. We want something equally robust where if you choose these options, it builds a character sheet for you so that the one that you end up having is the one that you use because it's got all the elements that you had asked to have in your game. So if you wanted life points, for example, then life points will be on the sheet. If you wanted to have values and relationships as your prime sets, then those two are the main stats on there. So that's kind of the, the goal. Um, execution of that is all based on how we, you know, move through this process, but that's something we had in mind, yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm. Yeah, because I love uh, those digital character building tools. So that's, that's going to be pretty cool, I think. Would users be able to upload their own assets, as it were, like to uh, further customize their own character sheets uh, with artwork or um, even the dice uh, to have special dice for their particular game that they're doing that's maybe not already supported by Cortex? Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing that D&D Beyond does right now with Homebrew. Um, there's options there to add, you know, magic items and all the things that people create on this per the moment. A lot of that stuff is intended to be used for private campaigns. And so there's the ability to upload that kind of thing. 
I think that we don't really want to shy away from that that Alice asset either. We want to be able to provide that option for people using it. And the other thing that's related to that is that there will be a Cortex Creator Studio, which is kind of the way to sort of build and and write and design and, and sell your own Cortex settings and products through our website. A little bit like how other places have these sorts of, um, like the DMs Guild, for example. But the, the point here would be that you get to use not only our really robust platform and all the digital tools and so on, but you get to sell things and make a little bit of money for your own IP, um, which I think is kind of a really cool thing to do. Not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone's aiming to be a publisher or anything, but we do make that easier. And the same kind of components and the same kind of tools that you'll be using to do that can also be used for your own campaign in the same way. Yeah, I think that uh, that sort of adds in like a unique element because a lot of those other marketplaces sort of, they're just a place to sort of upload your uh, your product, but they don't really have a lot of support necessarily for actually building and designing your product. Yep. And it sounds like Cortex Creator Studio will have that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's to the benefit of everybody. I think also, I mean, we're going to be using a lot of these same tools for putting out our own uh, official uh, licensed games that we make. So um, why not extend the same kind of tools for um, third-party creators at the same time? Well, as someone who likes to sort of like design a lot of his own stuff, I uh, definitely appreciate that. <laughs> uh, once again, obviously, that's all very aspirational, but it's definitely on the roadmap. It's the kind of thing we're talking about doing. And uh, it's just, it's you know, when is it going to come out? We don't know. We have to sort of roll these things out and add features to the website as we get them done. Um, but man, we, we have so much stuff that we want to do. It's, it's a really intense few years ahead of us, I think. Yeah. Well, good things come to those who wait, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, for our listeners at home, do you think there's going to be any chance of doing say an open or closed beta for people, uh, when it's closer to completion in terms of their own stuff or do you mean our, our material, uh, in terms of your material? Yeah, well, we, we're planning on doing um, uh, public playtesting of the games that we're putting out. So I don't think we've we, we've been talking about the same thing for Tales of Zadia, which is our first game uh, based on Netflix's The Dragon Prince animated show. Uh, we do want to have that kind of be a public playtest. So uh, the same thing will also probably be the case for Legends of Grayskull. And anything we do, we do want to get folks on board and let them try it out before we even finish the product. Awesome, yeah, and we we saw trailers for both of those, and uh, we obviously have your demo for Legends of Grayskull. Uh, JT and I were both curious, how closely were you able to work with, say, the show creators? Because Tales of Exadia is based off the Dragon Prince, which you can watch on Netflix right now, and then, but also Masters of the Universe is also getting a new miniseries next week, or next, not next week, next uh, next year, I believe. Yeah, I mean, licenses vary from how much interaction you get with the the creative teams behind them. Um, certainly, when we were working back with Margaret Productions on Marvel Heroic, I didn't, you know, have conversations with the artists and writers of the comics. You know, I was working with people from Marvel who manage that kind of thing. But with Leverage, uh, I was in conversation with, you know, folks like John Rogers and, and the, the the people who were in the writer's room for leverage. So it was really, really different depending on which license we had. I can say that we're working as closely as possible with Wonderstorm, who are the, the, the guys who are in charge of Dragon Prince. And they're very all very keen partners. We, we love working with them so far. And Mattel, who are 
Master of the Universe, that has been a similarly good arrangement where you know, they're the people who are very enthusiastic about their property. They really like to have, um, you know, partners on, in, in our sense who understand it and who are also enthusiastic about it. So there hasn't been any real problem, you know, reaching out and finding the, the people who we need to talk to within those uh, licenses. So, yeah, hopefully that continues in the future with all the other ones we do. Yeah, great. Uh, so, yeah, with Tales of Zadia, are, um, are you going to sort of take, maybe not mechanics-wise, but are you going to take a similar approach with Legends of Skull, potentially with uh, sort of giving uh, people the tools to sort of uh, adapt it to the type of game that they want? I mean, I think people will take them and do whatever they want with them anyway. I mean, that's a given. But in the case of Tales of Zadia, we, we know that there's a specific uh, theme, there's a specific kind of feel to the show, which we're trying to capture with this game. And there won't be a great deal of variety in that because it is what it is, you know. Um, with It's not quite the same kind of thing with Masters of the Universe. Legends of Grayskull is supposed to be a much broader range of different potential uh, feels too because the property's been around for such a long time. More so with that and less so with Tales of Zadia, but that's really in tune with the license itself too. So uh, are these products going to get continued support, both uh, Legends of Grayskull and Tales of Zadia? Uh, but also I was curious whether the core handbook that has just released would get further support, if, if that's going to uh, have additional mods presented in a book down the road. We've got uh, more stuff that came out of the, the Kickstarter, which we want to uh, release. We've got the system reference, which is not an SID in the sense of uh, open game license. It's more like a kind of an encyclopedic reference guide to the Cortex Prime system, laid out and presented in a very different way from the game handbook. So you could have it at your table and flip open to a section on traits and has, see all the things about traits and all that kind of thing. That's one thing that's going to be produced and it's in the works right now. Also, we have five volumes of what we call spotlights, which are additional settings and genre sort of adaptations that we got from a whole slew of amazing people who worked with me on the Kickstarter uh, to do those. Uh, and those are all still scheduled to come out and backers will still get those. Those are Cortex Prime supplements in that sense. They're not really tied into any of the licenses we're doing. And, um, you know, we imagine that folks who join up with the Cortex Creator Studio will similarly add more to that library of setting. Yeah, that's great. So actually, Cam, when you were uh, talking a little bit earlier, you had mentioned the uh, artwork of Cortex Prime, and that just, you know, got me. I was opening up my book here and just really admiring a lot of this art. The cover looks beautiful, mm -hmm. and it sort of got, you know, it really catches the light, sort of. and lots of great stuff with colors and i'm just like really impressed with um the diversity of the art in here because it looks like you've got a lot of different styles from a lot of different artists but it all seems to like work with whatever you know the uh, art is trying to portray and sort of gives you this feel of uh cortex sort of being able to support all these different things uh could you tell us a little bit about uh the art and the artists that uh worked on these yeah, I mean, if that's what your feeling is from it, that's that's great. That's exactly what we're hoping to do. Uh, so, I mean, uh, cool uh, success on that regard. I think that <laughs> Tina's uh, art direction. We we had many many conversations about how we wanted to do this. We really wanted to reach out to people who weren't necessarily always involved in RPGs before. Uh, 
Tina herself, as she comes from packaging design as opposed to being an RPG layout uh, person. And so um, a lot of the reason that I think this works is because we took a kind of a different angle and, and said, what, what do we think would be great in this book? How, how is it going to support this uh, stuff that I wrote um, and make it come off as being you know, fun to read, enjoyable to look at, and inspirational at the same time? So a global group of artists, we've got people from all over the place, um, you know, Russia and Iran and um, Malaysia and, you know, obviously parts of the US and Europe. And these artists came together and, um, I mean, I just, every time a new piece would come in, Tina would forward and say, hey, here's the current sketch or here's the layout and here's the final. And and we were all just like, wow. Uh, And so having Tina put them together in the book the way that she's done it has just cemented this idea that was really important that we do that. We wanted diversity, we wanted styles to be all over the place, but somehow to be, you know, like coherent in a way that makes it so that it all looks like it belongs in there as opposed mm-hmm. to just being a jumble of different art, um, which, you know, we could have done, but I didn't want it to be uh, messy. I wanted it to be something that people would really like. Well, I think you succeeded. <laughs> yeah, account, definitely. So. Actually, uh, like at the even at the very beginning of the book, I, you know, you, you can see uh, you have different like example situations illustrating the core mechanics of Cortex, and you sort of almost have like comic style examples where you actually see illustrations of you know what they're talking about, and I thought that was so cool to have. Uh, Jane Default, yeah, it's funny because Jane is a character that was in the oh years and years ago we had the Cortex Plus Hackers Guide. And uh, I was told to write up, you know, we'd put the whole thing together and there was like need for some sort of intro from me. And I said, well, what's the most absolute basic cortex you could possibly do? Uh, And it was kind of what I ended up including there. And then I built on that for this part of the book too. And Jane Default was like, you know, a journalist with this and this. And that was just basic. Now, I don't think anyone should expect to play cortex just with that sort of bare bones kind of thing. But it was to try and make a point that you start from character and you go and you head out in that direction. And so when we were trying to represent, you know, how do we want to show that the, the different things you can do in this game and why all the things are appropriate, that kind of style of like, just it's a, kind of like a, he said, very comic booky, but also not, it's like, I'm trying to describe it in the sense that isn't so much comic book, but like, like New Yorker cartoons or something, you know, like that it's cartoon, oh, yeah from a from a strip as opposed to being uh you know superheroes or something else so yeah mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of that i love that bit we we're giving that part away for free uh on the website eventually too the whole thing is going to be um viewable for people if they want to see what cortex is about that opening intro chapter yeah and also the layout too i was noticing the layout and it just looks like it's really nicely done so that you know, because the the point is to sort of have modular rules, and everything sort of has this nice, like little organized section with its paragraphs. You know, and you talk about all the different things, like having a doom pool and hero dice, and you know, sort of showing the different ways that those can be used, and you know, sort of introducing the various different mechanics that work together. And then you have you know little tables and things with examples. I thought that that was uh, really well done too, in terms of allowing people to more easily digest the rules, I guess you could say. I mean, obviously it's information information design, right? It's conveying what, what's in the text in a way that is easy to understand. 
that's part of the reason why Tina's so good at what she does is that she she grasps that idea that you need to use the graphics and the assets on the page in ways that are you know helpful as opposed to getting in the way of your uh, reading of it. Yeah, I fully fully place all of the um, the blame, as it were, is on, on Tina for that because that's the kind of thing I was hoping to see, and then she executed it really flawlessly. Yeah, so shout out to Tina for sure. Also, because you know you have Tales of Zadia coming out, and you've got Legends of Grayskull, and uh, you're the creative director and the lead designer for both of those projects, yep. right? I've had up all of that stuff. If it's creative and it's design, um, then I'm overseeing all of it, and uh, I leave all the important business development and uh, other stuff to Adam Bradford, who is the VP of Phantom Tabletop. Okay. I work with him all the time. Uh, he and I have. Uh, got a really really good working relationship and he's a good friend of mine now too adam's the one who sought me out and brought me on board for fandom in the first place and again couldn't have done any of this stuff without adam's leadership on that score so you know if you see a cool license coming out or if, the, if you like what we're doing adam's been the one who's sort of spearheaded the acquisition of these licenses and really helped us deliver what we want uh, from them yeah, it seems like it's been a very solid team. Uh, but with all these licenses coming your way, is there a certain like specific IP that you would love to turn to a Cortex game? Like, well, what's your dream IP, as it were? Uh, I feel like I'm jinxing it if I say anything, right? Because there's so many. Because when we have these discussions at, uh, behind the scenes, we're like, what would be really cool to get? And then you're like, oh, that would be really great. And then like next week, someone's got it. You know, like that's the whole. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way this business works. There's a lot of us out there who want to get cool things and play in sandboxes that we've always wanted since we were kids. And some of them seem like they'd be really cool ideas uh, on paper. And then you, you, you think about, well, how would that game work? And you just can't, you can't see how that would be fun, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, there's, there's books that I like and comic books I like. And if we did a game, it would maybe be about 30 pages long and and no one would buy it. <laughs> so I don't normally want to go into too much speculation about that because, like I said, I, I feel like a jinx it or someone else would already have it in the works. <laughs> when I back when I did Marvel, I mean Marvel was one of those things that I really, really wanted to always work on because I'm a huge Marvel fan, and getting that was was amazing. And then I found out as we had made the announcement, someone else came to me and said, "You, how did you get that?" And I'm like, "Oh, I don't know, because we, we did this thing." And I, oh, we were halfway through the process of getting a, a pitch to them, and now we're we not. <laughs> and I sort of thought, yeah. man, I, I always feel bad about that because, you know, we all want to have uh, work on things that we enjoy. And going to work and, and playing with someone else's content that you've been a fan of for a long time is is always fun. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's this, this stuff, I mean, I, I could go for hours about stuff I'd love to adapt, but it ultimately doesn't really come down to um, that's much it is the realism of the reality, I should say, of this sort of, sort of publishing business. You know, what can you get? What can you work on? The cool thing about this, though, is that anyone who gets this game and, and starts tinkering with it can do that. They can get the, their favorite IP and they can make a game about it and they don't have to publish it. They don't have to go to a contract lawyer and so on and, and do it because no one's going to come to your table and say, hey, you can't play this. That's not right. <laughs> Um, unless they're really, really public about it and saying, hey, we're doing this thing, we're going to release it online and, and sell it, that, that's not good. I think gamers are like this. Gamers have always adapted things to the things they like. You, however many times have you seen someone say, here's D&D &D stats for this new TV show that I've just started watching. I'm kind of hoping that people can 
can take Cortex and use it in that way because that's what it was designed to do. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing uh, what new licenses you get in the future because I'm definitely uh, excited to get some more Cortex in my life. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's definitely been a pleasure on our end. Uh, is there anything you want to put out to the world uh, with regards to Cortex or even with just how you're doing? Well, I'm doing great. You know, this is a, this is a dream job for me. I certainly think that everyone should have a chance to uh, dive headfirst into this sort of field if they feel like they can do it. I'm hoping that Cortex allows at least some people to to start making games that they didn't know they wanted to make. But my only thing I will say is that it just, you know, everyone needs to hopefully still be patient. We, we, we're making more stuff and keep, we'll keep making things. Uh, if we had everything front-loaded and ready to available right now, we could, but we are only a limited number of folks and we all have our daily schedules that we have to adjust. So, um, yeah, keep refreshing those pages, keep going back and, and uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else where we can follow us. Yeah, do you have uh, any uh, specific, you know, like usernames or things for people to look at for that stuff or... Well, I am at Boy Monster on Twitter and have done for many, many years, but it is also my personal account. So you will see all kinds of things that aren't related to Cortex on there as well. But Cortex RPG on Twitter is your your central repository for all things um, amazing. And that's moderated by uh, Melly, who is our community manager, and she is fantastic. Uh, and it's, the reason why I can even do this podcast today is because she helped coordinate it, because I'm a very uncoordinated person. <laughs> yeah well thank you melly for uh helping arrange that and um i think you also you have links to all the different social media stuff on the website too so yep people can always go and check that out there we do have a discord which is a uh, hotbed of uh, fun and enjoyment and, and i get to chat to people all the time uh when i'm not doing my other work and so if you're lucky on a good day i'll be there answering questions and if it's a bad day i might even still be there but lurking <laughs> the discord i think is also a link on our website too yeah, and we can also include all the links for that in the show notes for our listeners. Awesome. Cam, we want to thank you so much for uh, coming on and speaking to us. You're actually our first interview for the show, so that was pretty am amazing luck we had there um, <laughs> to kick us off that way. Sort of a, uh, just a, maybe a low benchmark for the future uh, interview candidates. That's uh... <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. The, you know, so, I mean, talking to the sort of creator of Cortex Prime is sort of like the ideal uh, first interview, I think. So thank you so much. We're going to be doing things with other uh, Cortex creators and stuff, both large and small, um, talking about various system mechanics and things and ways to sort of use the Cortex Prime rule set to the fullest. And uh, so uh, maybe uh, we'll get you back on sometime to talk about more stuff. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. You guys are great. Aw, thank you so much. But yeah, uh, so Cam, thanks again. And we hope that you have a wonderful year ahead and, and looking forward to seeing all the new Cortex stuff that comes out. 